0: Thank you, guys. Well, we are in week two of our new series um, on First John, the letter of 1 John. And so I want to give you just a little bit of review, a little bit of recap of where we were last week. And so... Um, the uh, last week we learned uh, that First John, the letters written by John, one of the disciples of Jesus. He was the youngest of Jesus' disciples. John is also responsible for writing a number of texts in the New Testament. John wrote First, Second, and Third John; those letters. He also wrote the Gospel according to John, and he wrote the book. Of Revelation, We learned last week that in the first couple of verses of the opening lines of First John, that John addresses the issue of in, the incarnation. That is, that God, Jesus, in the person of Jesus, became flesh. John says, we saw him with our eyes, we heard him with our ears, we even touched him. Um, and so he's affirming there that Jesus indeed, indeed did become human flesh. You say, well, what's the big deal about that? Well, we learned last week that there was a group of people in the first century that were going around, They were false teachers. They called themselves Christians, uh, but they believed that all physical matter, that all the material stuff of the universe was evil, was bad. These people were called docetists, and the word docetist comes from the Greek term dokeo, which means to seem or to appear. And so they believed that Jesus only appeared to be in the flesh, that he only seemed to be a real human being, uh, but that really he was more of an apparition. He was a ghost or something along those lines. And so this is what these docetists taught. They taught That, how could God, uh, who is holy, inhabit human flesh? How could He enter into physical material stuff? God wouldn't intermingle or mix Himself with something in that way. And so, John writes to correct this heresy in the church, right in the opening lines of the letter, to say, Hey, look, we saw Him, we heard Him, we touched Him. Indeed, God became flesh. And so, um, again, the reason why John's writing this letter is to refute some of the doctrinal heresies, some of the false teachings that are floating around amongst the Christians in the first century. And so, another one of those heresies that John addresses is we're going to cap, we're going to. land on today. And that comes to us from 1 John chapter 1, beginning at verse 5. We're going to read verse 5 through verse 10. So I'm going to ask you, as is our custom, to stand and read for God's, read God's words. Let's stand and read together. We're going to read 1 John chapter 1, beginning at verse 5. Here's the John addressing the second of these doctrinal heresies. Here we go. This is the message we have heard from him and declare to you. God is light. In him there is no darkness at all. If we claim to have fellowship with him, yet walk in the darkness, we lie and do not live by the truth. But if we walk in the light as he is in the light, we have fellowship with one another and the blood of Jesus, his son, purifies us from all sin. If we claim to be without sin, we deceive ourselves and the truth is not in us. If we confess our sins, he is faithful and just and will forgive us our sins and purify us from all unrighteousness. If we claim we have not sinned, we make him out to be a liar and his word has no place in our lives. You may be seated. Okay, so I want to walk through these verses together again. This is the second of the false teachings that the, uh, that the docetists are out there um, sharing. And so John, in order to address those, um, starts out with his foundational teaching. He says in verse 5, he says, this is the message that we, the apostles, John among the apostles, amongst the disciples that Jesus had called, that we have heard from the Lord Jesus, and now we are declaring this to you. And what is the message that John heard? He says that God Is light, and that in him there is no darkness at all. So that's the message that John is declaring. He's declaring both who God is and who God is not. That God is light, and what's the opposite of light? All right, darkness. That's right. And so he's saying God is light. He is not darkness. There's absolutely zero, zip, zilch, zero. Darkness in God at all. Now let's talk about light for just a second. What does light enable us to do? Light enables us to see our surroundings. If we turn the lights off in here, we wouldn't see quite so clearly the surroundings around us. But so light gives us ability to see what's around us. Um, and so we learn in the scriptures that that's what God's presence does. That God's glory radiates from Him and it generates light. That His glory can be seen as light. And so everywhere God goes, this His glory goes. And And so his radiating, giving visibility to his surroundings. We see this in Exodus chapter 34, verse 29. Moses is up on the mountain. He's meeting with God. And it says there that Moses was not aware when he came down from the mountain that his face shined. It was radiant because he had spoken with God. Moses had walked into the presence of God. He had stood there with God. God had given him the Ten Commandments. He had spoken the different decrees, uh, the different ordinances for the Jewish people. And while this is happening, Moses... His face just starts glowing to the point he has to wear a veil over it because it's shining so brightly like a big old light bulb in everybody's faces. Um, on another occasion, at the transfiguration, Jesus kind of unzips his flesh. He exudes himself through his flesh. I'm not sure exactly how that worked. But in any case, he, the veil of his flesh uh, was dissipated as such that his glory could be revealed The glory that was underneath of his flesh could be revealed up on the Mount of Transfiguration there with Peter, James, and John. And it says there what they experienced, Matthew chapter 17 and verse 2, that Jesus' face shone or shined like the sun and his clothes became as white as light. So here's Peter, James, and John. They get a glimpse. They get to see God's glory in front of them and it's shining brilliantly in front of them. You see, God doesn't need the sun to see. Isn't that neat? God doesn't need a flashlight to see. God's glory radiates from him. His light, the light of his glory is an intense light. It's a captivating light. It's an awe-inspiring light. God is, John declares, light. But what else is this light? Not only does it give us visibility to his surroundings that radiates from his glory, but his light also illuminates the hearts of men, and this is what the psalmist is talking about about how it illuminates, it reveals to our mind God's light, reveals to our mind God's truth, reveals to our mind God's wisdom. The psalmist says, Psalm chapter 119 and verse 105, Thy word is a lamp unto my feet and a light, right? A light unto my path. In other words, the product of who God is that God is light. Touches our mind, touches our heart, enables us to see where it is that we're going as we walk through life, right? As we we approach decisions, as we encounter different scenarios in our life, God's word instructs us. God is light in that way. It reveals his truth to us. Again, in verse 129, your statutes, that is the word of God, are wonderful. Next verse, verse 130, the unfolding of your words gives light. It gives understanding. Right? It touches our mind. It gives understanding to the simple. It's not just about being able to see my surroundings. That's not only the only thing that God's light provides. It's that God's light gives me knowledge. It gives me truth. It gives me eternal access to eternal truth, and that illumines my heart. It awakes my heart out of my situation, out of my surroundings, enables me to see things the way God sees them. God is, in this way, light. And just in case there is any question about the purity of God as light, John adds, there is no, there in verse 5, there is no darkness in him. There's not even a hint of darkness in God. There's not some little corner where his glory doesn't penetrate his being. There's not some little nook, someplace where God where that, that's kind of shadowy. He says there is zero darkness in God at all. He is pure light. That's what God is. He is uncorrupted in every way. He is, God's nature is fully enlightened. God is pure light. Now, this is very unlike, think about it, go back to the first century for a second. There's this is very unlike the Romans and the Greeks. John's audience would have been familiar with the Roman and Greek, ancient Greek gods, right? Zeus, he was constantly at war with Artemis, right, with Poseidon. Uh, with all the different Greek and, and Roman gods, and so these gods, the story, the myth, mythological stories of the Greek gods, they were uh, constantly at war with one another. They were backstabbing one another, right? They were constantly betraying one another. They were doing all sorts of things to one another. That's how the stories roll. That's those, those were their gods, the Greek and and, and Greek and Roman gods. Uh, but unlike those gods, John says the God of the Bible, the God of the universe. The creator of all things is pure, is light. There is no, not even a whisper of darkness in him. His motives, his responses to things, his knowledge, all of it is pure, not even a hint of darkness at all. And this is the message, John says. This is the message that we heard from the Lord Jesus, who said, I am the light of the world. Who is he declaring to be? God. I'm the light of the world that's come to men, right? John chapter 8, John chapter 9. I'm the light of the world. Uh, he who follows me will not walk in darkness, but will have the light of life in them. All right, so this is the message he says that we've heard from Jesus, and now that I'm declaring to you. Now, what happens next in these verses? So he sets his theological foundation that God is light, right? And then what happens in these next verses are three different Uh, refutes, if you would, of what the docetists are going around and sharing, of what these false teachers, the false professors, there's a few of those out there, that are out there teaching people. And uh, so John addresses those issues. All right, so he says in verse 6, if we claim to have have fellowship with Jesus, if we claim to be a Christian and yet walk in darkness, he says, now again, the concept of darkness is how you live. And so he says, hey, look, if this person's walking in darkness, then they're walking in immorality. And so if this false teacher's walking in immorality, uh, John says, then that person lies. They do not live out the truth. And so the first false teaching that we run into here is that how you live doesn't matter. That's the thing that Dostis, one of the things that Dostas were going around and telling people, that your walk, what you do, doesn't really have to line up with what you say. And so John refutes that. He says, how do you confirm that the teacher is from God? Verse 7, he says, if we walk in the light as Jesus is in the light, if we live a moral life, living the way Jesus did, then we can conclude that that person is in fellowship with other believers, fellowship with other Christians, and that the blood of Jesus, God's Son, will purify that person from all sin. John says, here is a litmus test to figure out who the phonies are and who the fakes are from the real folks. Does their lifestyle match up with the kind of person that you know Jesus to be? If it doesn't, he says, then you can spot these docetists. You can spot these false teachers out there. Um, If they're stealing money from the offering plate, if they're cursing like sailors, if they're showing no compassion to the poor, I mean, is this how Jesus lived? John says, hey, look, there's a great litmus test for you to discern whether or not this person is real. Um, So John says, when you see this in the traveling uh traveling professors, the traveling teachers, their lives are inauthentic. He said that's a clear sign that they're not the real deal. Um, you say, hey Gordon, hold on just a second. I mean why would John need to point this out, right? I mean, isn't it fairly obvious when somebody's living one way and yet they're saying something else? I mean what person would go to a church like that? Right? But yet all across America, right? There are folks attending churches where pastors are, They feel like they have an entitlement to some giant salary, and they fly jets all across the country and all across the world, and they're driving around in Bentleys, and they fly in their helicopter, and somehow they think that all of this is justified. They think that they can sleep around with their parishioners, that they can live however they want to live, that they can talk however they want to talk. And John says of them, well, I mean, does the lifestyle match up with the? message says if not it's a clear sign and yet people throw money at these folks they come to their churches in droves so apparently John did need to say what he had to say and he says here's a great way for spotting fakes and phonies uh in the pulpit all right number two A second false teaching that the docetists were sharing, verse 8, he says, If we claim, if these people claim to be without sin, if the teachers claim to be without sin, and they walk around saying, I got no sin in my life, he says, "Um, I'm perfect. What deception, what a deception that is. The truth is certainly not in such a person. Verse 9, he says, but if we confess our sins, Jesus is faithful and and just and will forgive us of our sins and purify us from all unrighteousness. So if you're confessing your sins, then that means that you're admitting that you have a sin problem. You see, the docetist said, hey, you know what? I don't have a sin problem. I don't sin. I mean, I live my daily life and I just don't ever mess up. That never happens for me. And so they're going around telling people this. You say, well, where do they get this from? Well, again, the docetist view of the world was that all the material stuff of the world was bad and that only the spiritual realm was good and only the spiritual stuff is what mattered. And so that meant that I can live however I want to live in the flesh, that I can say with my tongue whatever I want to say, that I can duke it out with folks, that I can do whatever I want in the flesh and that there's there's no inconsistency there. Because what happens in the material world is of no consequence to what happens in the spiritual world. And John says, whoa, time out. Hold them doggies, right? Hold them horses. Uh, that's not the case. He says, look, if somebody's walking around saying that they're not living in sin, that they have no sin in their life, not that they're living in, but they have no sin in their life, that they never sin, he says, look, this is a clear sign. This, this person is just a fake, that this person is just a phony. Um, so if somebody claims that they're without sin, Um, that's a strike too. All right, third and final uh, false teaching that they're sharing out there. Verse 10 is very much like the last one. He says that the teacher claims that he has not sinned ever, right? Well, clearly he says that person is making Jesus out to be a liar and God's word is not in him. So on this occasion, not only are they saying I just don't sin, what they're saying is that I don't have a, never have sinned ever. Like I don't have a sin problem. So, what did Jesus need to die on the cross for me for? So, you can see how far gone some of these folks are in what they're teaching. They're teaching that sin is not an issue. Jesus didn't need to die on the cross, at least for these Docetists, because they're perfect, they're pure, they're enlightened souls, right? And so, what's the point of me even needing to have Jesus die on the cross for my sins? This is what the Docetists were teaching. Again, what does the Bible have to say, though, in response to that? Romans chapter 3 and verse 23, y'all know the verse. It says, For God. Um, No, no, that's that's John chapter 3 and verse 16. Romans 3 and verse 23 says, apparently, I don't know it. For all have sinned, all have sinned, uh, Paul declares, and fall short of the glory of God. Paul says sin is in our life. It is a human problem. And then the writer of Hebrews goes on to say, hey, look, Hebrews chapter 4 and verse 15, speaking about Jesus, the writer says, Jesus was tempted in every way, just as we are, yet was without sin. The Lord Jesus was the only human being ever on the history of the planet to have Pass through this life, and not to have sin. Jesus never lied. Jesus always obeyed. Jesus never did and had, a, had a terrible thought. Jesus always, always in every way lived obediently according to the Scriptures. He never broke the law of God. He lived a sinless life, and he's the only one among us who did that. And so John says about these false teachers, you want to know who the real ones are from the fake? If they say they've never sinned, well, that guy is a fake. That guy is a phony. All right, let's sum up these three false teachings. John says you can identify the fakes and the phonies from the real ones if number 1, there is rabid inconsistency between what they say and what they do. <clears throat> number 2, you can pick out the fakes from the phonies if they claim they don't sin. If they claim that they're just they live life completely perfect. Um, Number three, he says, you can pick out the phonies if they say they've never sinned and thus don't require Jesus' death on the cross as a a substitute for their own sins. Okay, Uh, that's our text for today, and so that means it's time for us to make the transition into asking our most important question. It's a question we ask every week around here, right? What difference does all this make to my life? You say, Gordon. I mean, that's really great. I appreciate the theological lesson. Good to go into that stuff with John. But I mean, how's that help me where I'm living today? I got to get to work tomorrow morning. What does any of this have to do with where I'm living? What difference does this make to my life? Well, that's a really great question. Thank you for asking that. I appreciate that. Um, So let's uh, let's talk about how. See if we can answer that. Do you remember? Do you remember in elementary school we used to we used to have a day of show and tell. Anybody have show and tell? They still do that nowadays? we got a few elementary school teachers here. Everybody does still? Nope. Show and tell's gone. Okay. Well, in any case, we used to play show and tell back in the day. And show and tell was kind of like, you know, if you had your favorite stuffed animal, you could bring it in. And you could stand in front of the class, and you could show everybody your stuffed animal, and you could talk about your stuffed animal. You could tell about it. You could show it. You could tell about it. All right. And then if you had like your favorite baseball cards, I remember collecting baseball cards. I remember, remember the Topps baseball cards back in the day. You had a little piece of gum in that packet of thing. Right? <clears throat> nope. And you get like 15 duplicates of uh, some guy that you could, didn't even know who he was, he was on the team, right? But in any case, you can bring your baseball cards. If you got lucky, right, you get a good one. And uh, you bring your baseball cards in there and you'd show everybody your ba- favorite baseball card. Um, or if you like had pictures from your summer vacation, you could bring those in there. and You could stand up in front of the class. You could tell all about your summer vacation. So we had days of show and tell. I guess it's not, 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 not that great anymore. But anyhow, so that was a really fun thing that we used to do. Well, I've got a show and tell for you today. Okay, you ready? Here, here's my show and tell. <clears throat> this, is, uh, this is pretty cool stuff. You say, Gordon, that's the Bible. Yes, it's the Bible. That's right. This is my childhood Bible. It has my name embossed on the front, right? And I picked this up the other day off my shelf. It stays on my shelf in my office. I have a couple of these Bibles that I've used through the years. And so this one's very, pre- very, very uh, precious to me. Uh, it was given to me by my parents. And I opened up in the front and just happened to look through it uh, just the other day. And it says that it was presented to me. Right? It's got my name in it with my mom's handwriting in it. And it says when it was presented to me. It was presented to me on my 13th birthday on August the 3rd, 1987. I'm going to save you the trouble of doing the math. I'm 43 years old. Okay? So in any case, but my mom and dad gave this to me on my 13th birthday. And uh, it's got the little gold you know, around the edges and the, and the tabs are all spelled out. And it's King James Version. And I remember I grew up reading this Bible, reading this book. I love. I learned to, I mean, at 13 years of age, I learned to just love sitting with God's Word and reading God's Word. Why? Because as I was reading through God's Word, I would run across these kinds of verses. Matthew chapter 20 and verse 26, all underlined. Some of you all remember doing that, perhaps. Underline. It's okay to underline in your Bible. You know, that way you can find it easier the next time. Matthew chapter 20 and verse 26, With men, Jesus said, this ain't going to happen. This is impossible. But with God, turns things around, and all things become possible. And I was inspired, inspired. Deep in my heart, God planted seeds of possibility in my soul. I would read words like Philippians chapter 4 and verse 13. I'd go to school, and maybe I was having a difficult day or something like that, or I had a big test in front of me. And I would have God's word in the back of my mind reminding me That I can do all things through Christ who gives me strength. And I remember being comforted by words like Psalm chapter 56 and verse 3, which says, What time I am afraid. 13, 14, 15 year old young man. When I'm petrified, I will trust in you. That was God's word. It was God's truth, and it poured down into my heart. It became nourishment for my soul. What is God's word? God's word is God's truth in written form. Jesus said, I'm the light of the world. Right? We don't worship God's word. We worship the Lord Jesus. But John declares, John chapter 1 and verse 1, that the word was with God, and the Word was God in the beginning. That this book, with all of its words, is the embodiment in written form of God's truth that's captured in the Lord Jesus. God's Word, and that's why, you know, this one looks terrible too, right? And you just wear them out over the years, right? You hang on to them, they're precious to you. Jesus said, I'm the light of the world, God's Word, friends, Is God's truth in written form. You know, the world is filled with lies, full of lies. It's full of deceit and those who deceive. Perhaps some of the people who are deceiving don't even know. They have never encountered truth. They don't even know that they're deceived. You know, in a world like that, where are you going to find truth? Where are you going to turn to? When you're facing some difficult decisions, you don't know which way to go. How are you going to know what's the right path to take? When you're struggling, when you're troubled, where are you going to find God's encouragement? You can find that on your knees in prayer. But, friends, you can also find that in God's promises. I can do all things through Christ who gives me strength. Be nourishment to your soul. You know, perhaps you might turn on the inside of yourself. Perhaps you might look to your own human wisdom, right? Uh, I think maybe I can figure out what's best. Perhaps you can uh, go to a fortune teller. Some people like going to a fortune teller. I get their palms read, something like that. Find out which way I'm supposed to go. Uh, Maybe you might consult uh, the parenting magazine because, you know, there's some good stuff in there, right? And that'll give you the right direction for how you're supposed to go. Maybe you might... uh, turn to your friends at work because that always works out great getting their advice right you know god gave us his truth in written form god is light friends and the direction he gives us has not a hint not a hint of darkness in it um We have been very privileged. I'm gonna pick on you this morning, Mr. Terry. We have been, or brag about you, really. Uh, We have been very privileged over the last couple of weeks. um, And back in November, Mr. Terry Biscogli and his wife Susan have come and been a part of our Sunday school class. He's been teaching with us. And if you've been in there and experienced his teaching, he is passionate, right? Passionate about God's word. Uh, Why? I mean, you know, it's one thing to be passionate about cars, right? I like, I like. Tinkering around. Some of y'all are really good at tinkering around with cars. More than tinkering around, you'd be passionate about that. Perhaps you may be passionate about golf. Maybe passionate about the bulldogs. Maybe passionate about a lot of things. But this is a different kind of passion, right? He's passionate about this right here, to the point that he would die, rather than you know discount it, rather than uh, say you know that's really not God's truth. I mean that's that kind of passion. That kind of I'll let my life, I'll breathe my last breath before I ever utter. A falsehood about God's word. That's real passion. Um, you know, um, and he spent decades, decades studying God's word. The guy's learned Hebrew. I mean, really? On his own. Like, not, he's like not even in a classroom or anything. I mean, he's learned Hebrew. It's crazy. Um, again, because of what this book is. It is God's truth. It is light In written form, you follow that? That's what this is. You know, some of us have folks in our lives who they're just not getting it. They're walking away from the Lord. They're deceived and don't even know that they're deceived. And we're like, how do I break through? Right? How do I how do I help them see the truth? Have you ever thought about giving them a Bible and allow the truth, God's truth in written form to begin to plant seeds in their heart, to nourish their soul such that they begin not just to see who God wants them to be but also to see their own depravity unlike the docetists who said, I ain't got a sin problem. read God's Word, and we'll see about that. Have you ever thought about giving them this precious gift that God has given us of God's truth in written form? Um, Perhaps you're at a place in your own life where you're struggling to find what's next, uh, where you're wondering... What's the future hold? Which way does God want me to go? We say this all the time around here. You don't have to wonder what God thinks. (laughs) Can you finish it? Oh, I'd love to hear that. Say it one more time, a little louder. He wrote it down. He wrote it down. Friends, God is light. Not even a hint, not even a whisper of darkness in him. Let's bow our heads together. Most gracious Lord, we thank you for talking to us today. We thank you for who you are. There is none other in this cosmos that can compare to you. Zeus and all of his strength. Satan and all of his knowledge. They're not light. You and you alone are Lord, we lift up to you this morning those in our lives who desperately need the light of your truth, of who you are, God, to penetrate their heart, to penetrate their mind. Lord, may they find that, whether it be through the Holy Spirit's conviction that comes on them by reading God's word or through some incident in their life, Lord, you make yourself known to them. And God, as we ourselves journey through our lives, we ask, Lord, we pray for your wisdom. We beseech you for direction. And yet, Lord, a great resource has been given us. Your truth in written form. Lord, as we turn to this table now, as we remember your shed blood and your broken body, we are thankful for your great love for us. That not only did you come to die for our sins, but you came so that we might have life, so that we might have your light living in and through us. Holy Spirit, speak and minister to our hearts this morning, we pray. In Christ's holy name, amen.